Thank you, Andrew. We're going to go now into our time of scripture reading, and the scripture for today comes from Mark chapter 1. We're going to read verses 32 through 39 in ESV. Uh, some of you guys already know there's ESV Bibles uh, under your seats if you're here in person. Um, we encourage you to uh, look up the scripture, uh, whether you, you, you do it from a pew Bible or if you have your own Bible or Bible app. We're also going to project it behind me. But again, that's Mark chapter 1, verses 32 through 39. And may the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, we are continuing our sermon series, Life. And today's message is called Be Alone to Be Together. And it might seem kind of like a weird title, right? Because those seem like polar opposites to us. And, you know, it's just kind of appropriate to ask this question from the beginning. Which one do you think is better? Is it better to be alone or is it better to be together? And maybe during this time of COVID, our answer to this has changed a little bit. You know, some of us have been forced to, to be alone for a really long time, and then all of a sudden the floodgates open, like we're all itching. Do you remember that time when we were in quarantine, and we're like, I just miss my friends. I just want to go out and get coffee. I want to watch a movie with other people, and you know, you're just missing it so much, and then all of a sudden, you know, new school year and all this stuff, and I feel like we went from like zero to like 200 miles an hour, you know, and maybe for some people, you're like, yeah, I want to go back to quarantine, <laughs> you know? I want to go back to being alone. And friends, you know, no matter what your answer is to that question, I do believe that both are needed, right? And, you know, funny thing is that we are in the portion of this sermon series where, you know, we, we started talking about life, life period. And a lot of that could be addressed just as you as an individual, your relationship with God. But recently, uh, especially like in the last month, month and a half, we've really been transitioning to talking about how we do this crazy thing called life with other people. And, and specifically, we want to know how we can do that in a community of Christ. We want to be truly a community of Christ, not just individuals who are, you know, getting our, our little spiritual fix, you know, um, but, but a, a place where we can really learn how to do this stuff together, where we can kind of train uh, together, that we, we can practice doing the stuff that Christ asked us to do, and we can do that together. And so it, it probably won't surprise you to know that one of the major inspirations for this entire sermon series is a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. It's a Christian classic. It was written in 1939. Um, and it was during uh, the time where Nazi Germany was coming uh, to, to rise to power, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German professor and, and pastor 
And he had this illegal seminary where he was meeting with people under the threat of literally death. And so for him, the lifeblood of the church was this idea of you got to do it together. You got to do life together. It was so important to him. But, you know, one of the things that, that, that I thought was really cool, and, and this very much inspired the sermon. I don't think we'd have the sermon if I didn't read this chapter in Life Alone. That's called The Day Alone. So this is my, my uh, copy of uh, Life Together. Um, and it, it talks about this idea that, yeah, so, you know, if you see, like, the smaller circle that's in the corner that's, like, circled in green, um, that, that's the title of the book, Life Together. But part of that is the day alone, is that there is something really important about us learning to be alone. And so... Um, yeah, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he had this saying, and uh, we're going to skip a couple slides to see it, but he said, whoever cannot be alone should beware of community. Whoever cannot be alone should beware of community. But he also said, but the reverse is also true. Whoever cannot stand being in community should beware of being alone. You need both, right? And, and you're going to see in the scripture passage that we're going through today why that is true. So let's just dive in. Um, so this is very early in Jesus's ministry. This is Mark chapter one, right? So this is one of the first stories that you hear about Jesus going out and doing ministry. And as he's going out, he's healing people. He's casting out demons. And you better believe that people were wowed, right? They're like, oh my gosh, who is this guy? And there were a lot of sick people. There were a lot of demon-possessed people. There were a lot of people who had needs. And so you, you can just imagine there are crowds who just want a piece of Jesus. And we are told that, that in this particular story, that at evening, at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. The whole city, can you imagine? Right? And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. So what's going on here is Jesus is healing people. And there's so many people, many people, many demons, many cases where people need this. And he does this well into the night, right? So much so that, you know, you can just imagine that maybe Jesus was in a place where there's a lot of people and they've kind of fallen asleep or Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, I need to go rest. And he slips away. He finds a way to slip away. It says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. But he's still in the, the general city uh, uh, area. We're not sure exactly where he is. If he's outside of the city, we're told that Jesus would often go to these desolate places. Um, kind of the literal translation is a lonely place. He was going to be alone where no one else was, right? Because you can see, uh, I mean, it's such a contrast, right? He's just around all these people, so many needs, right? And, and we know that. We know that about Jesus is that's what he came to do. He came to heal. He came to be with the people. It makes sense. But this is one part of the story that we don't always emphasize. We kind of gloss over right? Yeah, the flashy stuff, right? You know, he's exercising demons. You're like, whoa, that's so crazy. But I got to tell you, friends, that in recent years, I have been drawn more to this very, very kind of 
like, like it's just a very nondescript phrase that just kind of slips in there, right? That, that while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. He went to be alone with God, right? And here you see another contrast. So Simon and those who were with him, the disciples, they searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. So friends, right? Like there were so many people who wanted a healing. And it kind of reminds me when I was in, um, uh, this, this was years ago, we went to Uganda as a church and we did a medical mission trip. And we were doing this clinic, but we didn't know that, um, I, I guess a radio station found out in Uganda and broadcast it all throughout the area that there were going to be doctors in that region, and, and it was a free medical clinic. And the thing is, is we only had three doctors with us. And, like, there was probably about 1,000 people lined up, right? And so all day, the doctors are treating people, and it just got to the point where they couldn't do it anymore. And, you know, it was like this crazy scene where we're, like, packing up because we're, like, literally running out of medicine. And the doctors are exhausted, and they're like, we can't do anymore today. And there are people banging on the doors and the windows. Let us in. Let us in. We're sick. We need healing. And that's kind of what I picture here, right? It's this frantic, crazy thing. And you better believe, for me and everyone else, and I'm not even a doctor, but, man, my heart was pounding, right? I'm like... What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's all these people. They need healing, right? Like, we can't turn them away. We got to do something. And so I just imagine the disciples' anxiety. You can feel it, right? Like, when they see Jesus, can you just hear it in their voice? Everyone is looking for you. And so they've been bothering us, Jesus, because they couldn't find you. Where is he? Where's Jesus? Where's the healer? We need him. I'm bleeding. I'm hurting. Please, 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 please. Oh, are you getting anxious just thinking about that? Right? Has there been a time where you feel like there's a crowd? You know, maybe it's not a literal crowd like that, like what I talked about in Uganda. But there's a time where you just feel everyone else's energy and their anxiety. And everyone wants a piece of you. Or maybe, I think a lot of times, this is why a lot of us have anxieties, because of the expectations that other people have. It may not even be a stated expectation. Do you ever wake up in the morning, and you don't, you're just anxious? You're like, oh, oh I got to do something, and you don't even know what it is. You just feel like, I'm, just, I'm disappointing people. I'm falling behind. I'm not doing something. You know? And we all carry around that energy. Oh my gosh, friends, it may not be a crowd, right? Like a literal physical crowd. But seriously, think about your phone. I've seen some of you guys' phones. I've seen some of you guys' schedules. And looking at your schedules and looking at all the different color boxes on your calendar, I seriously, am, I'm going to have a panic attack just looking at your calendar. I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you do it all? Right? Or some of you, I look at your calendar and there's nothing there, and there should be. <laughs> but you just don't want to put it on the calendar. And that gives me an anxiety attack, too, because I'm like, oh, my gosh, you should be more organized. What are you doing? Friends, right? It's, I, I see, if you're at home, this is uncomfortable laughter you're hearing, right? We feel this, right? There's so many demands. The crowd may not be in person, but they're there. 
It's a crowd of demands on your time, and you feel that anxiety. Many of you, you feel that anxiety right now. Every time we go to pray, every time we close our eyes, anytime there is a still moment, you feel it. Just, oh, it's there. It's all the time, right? But you see Jesus in sharp contrast to the disciples who are like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I know we're not Jesus, but we're his disciples. We're supposed to know where he is, and we, we don't know where he is. And they're like, Jesus, why'd you do that? Where'd you go? Everyone's looking for you, and then they were hounding us, and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? There's so many people. And this is Jesus' response, right? Guys, can you imagine? There's all these people. They, they want a healing. They need a healing. And he says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now, friends, let's stop here for a moment. Is this a little callous of Jesus to be like, okay, there's people who literally, I mean, they're, they're, they're hurting, right? They need a healing. And is it callous for Jesus to be like, yeah, we're not going to do that. Let's go over here. It's interesting the way he says it. He's not like, I'm tired, guys. I can't do it anymore. He doesn't say that. He says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. What he's saying is that he knew what his mission was. He knew what God's will was for him. And that was not influenced by the crowds and their demands. Because let's be honest, Jesus could have stayed there for the rest of his life right? There would never stop being demands on him. There would always be sick people. There would always be these things. But Jesus did not come to just do a few like magic tricks, right? To just heal a few people, even though that was good and important, right? But he came to save all of humanity. If Jesus stayed there and listened to the crowds, I'm telling you, we wouldn't be here today. He wouldn't have died on the cross, right? He would have just stayed there. You know, he would have been like, oh yeah, there was this prophet in Galilee and he'd like healed people. It's crazy, right? But he wouldn't have been the savior of the universe if he listened to the crowds. Now, friends, so it seems like Jesus in this time, right? We're not told exactly what happens in his time with God, right? But it seems like this was really important, this connection that he had with God that informed him. He knew what the will of God was, right? In a way that many of us don't. A lot of us, we don't know the will of God, but all we know is there's these demands, right? There's these things we got to do. There are these expectations, you know, maybe from your parents, maybe by society, maybe by your peers, right? There's all these things. There's your anxiety that is telling you, come on, you got to do this or do that. Right? And we listen to those things. And so many of us are reactive, right? It's like, like the doctor's office. When they're text, testing your reflexes, somebody you know, gets a little hammer and they hit you know, a certain spot right below your knee and they're just boop, boop, just the, 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 right? the, the leg just flicks out like that. And that's the way many of us live. We are just reacting to the stresses around us. But that was not Jesus. That was not Jesus. Jesus was in this place where he knew who he was and he knew what God was and he knew what God wanted. And he was so free. I mean, Jesus, I think, was the freest person who ever lived. 
Yeah, he was the son of God, but remember, he was fully human. You, you think Jesus didn't know how to feel anxiety? Anxiety is just a part of fear. Of course he knew how to feel anxiety. But it's almost like Jesus knew he needed this time. He needed this time to connect to God so that he wouldn't just fall into pace with the rest of the world, that the crowds wouldn't sway him. Now, friends, sometimes crowds can be really powerful, right? Crowds can be powerful for good and for bad, you know? There are times where, you know, a crowd is like, like cheering for somebody, and maybe you didn't want to cheer for that person, but everyone else is cheering, and you're like, oh, and you just get into it. And this entire crowd is trying to encourage one person, and oh my gosh, it's beautiful. And there are other times where the crowds get ugly, right? Crowds are like, yeah, it's his fault. Get him, get him. And then everyone goes with that too. Now, friends, you know, I, I want to admit that as a church, we want to have the kind of energy that is together. Now, you can harness that for good, right? If in this place is the spirit of Christ and that spirit is carrying us towards love, I want you to catch a little bit of that. Have you ever been in an environment where you were stressed out but everyone else was at peace. And just being there long enough, it starts to rub off on you a little bit, doesn't it? And you start to ingest a little bit of that peace. Maybe you start to calm down. But the reverse is also true, right? Where you're in an environment of anxiety and fear, and that rubs off on you. I gotta tell you, I feel that every time I'm on, I'm on Michigan campus, uh, during finals time, you walk into a, a coffee shop, and like seriously, I, you know, I haven't had to take an exam in you know, 20 years, but I walk in there, and I'm like, should I be anxious? <laughs> like, I just feel it, right? Like, you just see people, and they're just like radiating with this anxiety and fear, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> you know, I don't like this. I'm going to drink lots of caffeine. I'm going to get over this. You know, and friends, this is one of the things that we have to be aware of, right? And so I want to revisit that quote from Bonhoeffer, where he says, Whoever cannot be alone should beware of community. Why should we we beware of community? Because in many ways, we're going to let the crowds influence us, sway us, right? And we're not going to really be aware of what's going on. It's just going to happen, right? And in many ways, also, if you can't stand being alone, then I think that's also a red flag, because the question is, what are you running from? What is so scary about being by yourself? Maybe you've heard people talk like this, or maybe this is even you, that it's like, you know, I'm just trying to keep busy. I'm trying to keep busy because if I have time to think, or if I have time to be still, it's no good. Why is it not good? What are you running from, friends? Right? This is the thing. If you're running like that, and there is something underneath that needs healing, or there's something that you have not fully given to God, right? Then I, I, I want to say, you're not fully being controlled by the Holy Spirit. You're not fully within the will of God. God is gracious. God can do anything, right? And so I'm not saying that you aren't able to do some things for God. I'm not saying that you, you don't know a little bit of God's will, but you're not fully there. 
Can we agree on that? If you're running from something, if there's something you're not acknowledging, and you're just like, I gotta keep busy, I gotta keep busy, I just need noise, right? Maybe some of you guys have been really stressed out, and you're like, I gotta go to a party, right? I gotta go to a party, and we have to do what? We got to drink. <laughs> Why? Why? You know what they called alcohol back in the day? You know what they call it? Even still, sometimes it'll say like wine and spirits at the grocery store. Spirits? What is that? I've been saying this uh, for the, you guys who have been at LGM. What do, what do spirits do? What do spirits do? Some people, you, you, you hear them kind of like humming a song. Uh, it's from Oceans, right? Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. That's all I'm going to sing of the song right now. Um, so spirits lead, right? And so many of us, we're directionless, or we're afraid of what is inside, and so we're like, I just, I just need a drink, because I need that spirit to lead me, right? I want to get out of my head. I want to stop thinking for a little bit, right? Friends, I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm just saying this is the reality. I've been there. You guys know my history. You know I've been there. There's no judgment here. But I'm just saying that we run to the crowds. We run to the noise because we don't know how to be alone. But Jesus absolutely knew how to be alone, right? And something changes within him that he is able to be with other people in a way that is so different than anyone else. He's listening to the will of God. He knows the will of God. He's able to do the will of God, and he's able to genuinely love people. It doesn't mean he always gives people what they want, right? They would have kept him there forever and made him their king or whatever, and been like, yeah, Jesus, you just give us what we want. You be our healing vending machine. But he's like, no, no, no. God wants something greater. And it wouldn't have been the loving thing for him to ignore all the other cities he was supposed to go visit, right? It wouldn't have been the loving thing for him to not go to the cross. He knew that. So he was able to resist the whims of the crowd to follow the will of God. And friends, you know, maybe some people, and this is why Dietrich Bonhoeffer flipped it. Maybe some of you are hearing this message, you're like, yeah, I need to be alone. Yeah, I need my alone time. And some of us, we're introverts. You know, we, we just kind of like that. You know, and um, there's this very famous um, uh, uh, kind of mystic monk, this guy Thomas Merton, uh, who was a Trappist. And so he was in a community with lots of monks people who are living solitary, alone with God, and they're, they're meditating and they're praying. And he said this thing that really offended a lot of people. Is, is, at, the, at the monastery, he said, you guys think you're mystics? You think you guys are contemplatives? But I think most of you are just introverted. <laughs> and, and of course, like everyone got really, really mad. So no, we're here for God. We're here to listen to God. And <laughs> You know, friends, we have to be honest about that. Maybe some of us are like, yeah, yeah, I, li I like praying alone or I like being alone. And it's just because you don't want to be around people. You don't like people. People bother you. you. You have to worry about what they think about. And you don't like that energy of just like, are they judging me? Or am I good enough? You're like, I'm just going to be alone. You know? And so there's that other part that he says, uh, the reverse is also true. Whoever cannot stand being in a community should beware of being alone. There's a reason why Jesus was alone with God. Yes, it is to commune with God, and that's a beautiful thing, but it was so he could be with other people, right? 
And so, friends, I want to encourage us that I think so much of this message is about we need to learn how to be alone with God, how to truly commune with God, so that when we are with other people, we're better for each other. Does that make sense? We can love each other more. Because we're not just buying into everyone else's anxiety and, and just being swept away by their dramas and, and you know, getting sucked into whatever story they're living out. If it is not the story of God, then that's not the story that we should be a part of, right? And so there is a way in which we need to just be untethered from the whims of the crowds and be completely connected to God to be completely within his will. This message um, is one that, I, 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 when I read this passage, you know, I used to just kind of gloss over it. It really didn't mean anything to me. And then I read this book by Bill Hybels called Too Busy Not to Pray. And this is the central story of the book, the one we just read. Jesus healing people well into the night, and then he slips away to pray. And from that place of intimacy with God, he is able to resist the whims of the, the crowd. And he's able to follow the will of God. Right? And, and it's something that has stuck with me. And that phrase, too busy not to pray, um, it, it kind of is influenced by uh, Martin Luther. He didn't exactly say this. A lot of times that, that uh, quote gets attributed to Martin Luther. But he never said, um, I'm too busy not to pray. But what he did say was uh, something to the effect of, I'm going to paraphrase, but he was like, I have so much going on. I have so much I need to do that I need to spend at least three hours in prayer today. (laughs) For Martin Luther, it was the opposite. When we get busy, we're like, "I, I have zero minutes to pray. I have no time, right? But for Martin Luther, he was like, I'm too busy not to pray. Because what's going to happen? We talked about this uh, uh, you know, last week where we were talking about being content and feeling like we never have enough. But one of the things, and I think this struck a chord with, with most of the people who talked to me after the message, it was particularly this, not so much about the money, right? Because I, I think, you know, a lot of us feel like we don't have enough money, but we also feel like we don't have enough time. And maybe you felt that, right? And it's a funny thing. Uh, so there was somebody who predicted, uh, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was a little bit. It was somebody who was like looking at our technological future and was like, could you see where we were going with machines and with computers and, and just, you know, like, like, man, there's going to be a time where we have so much efficiency, where we have so much technology that we're just going to live lives of leisure, right? We're going to be able to do all the stuff that we used to do, and it took up all the time, and we're going to be able to do it in like two hours. What are we going to do with the rest of our time? It's laughable, isn't it, now? Because I think in many ways, we're more busy than we've ever been before. We feel like we have less time. And the thing is, is that there is never going to be a time, I don't think, where you're going to get to a place where you're like, now I have enough time to pray. Something is going to fill the time. And the question is, are you going to make that the priority? Because this is the thing. How do you even know what you are supposed to be doing? Well, I got to do this because it's on my phone. I got to do this because someone told me to do it. If Jesus acted that way, he doesn't go to the cross. But because he was in connection with God, he knew what he was supposed to do. Right? He was able to cut out some of the noise. Are you able to do that? Friends, I got to tell you. I'm not. 
I'm not able to cut out that noise when it's just me. When I'm just trying to figure out, oh, what is most worthy of my time? I react so much to the demands of other people. And friends, I got to tell you, I read this book, Too Busy Not to Pray, about 10 years ago. And it probably took me about three or four years before I really put it into practice. I read it. I was so convicted. I think even at the time, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to preach on this this Sunday. This is so good, right? Yeah, you, you, you're too busy not to pray. You got to prioritize that. And I said that, and I wasn't really able to fully do it. It just sounded good. It was just something I heard, you know? And maybe for some of you, friends, you're going to hear this message, and you're going to be like, yeah, yeah, Pastor Steve, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you know, the Bible is right. Yeah, we should commune with God so we know the will of God, so we aren't so anxious, so we're not so swayed by the crowds. Yeah, that's where I want to be. But are we going to be able to do that? That's the question. I got to tell you, friends, it might take some time. But I got to tell you, it's absolutely worth doing. I want to give you uh, an encouragement. For me, when, when I had to learn how to prioritize prayer to make it the first thing I did every day, to make it the most important thing that I do. That if, if I'm faced with, I got to do work, I have this deadline coming up, there's this person who wants me to call them, and prayer, I always used to pick the busy thing, right? The thing that's on my schedule. The thing where I'm going to disappoint people or whatever, right? Now, I'm not 100% at this. I don't do it all the time. But I'm starting to learn how to prioritize the prayer. And as I've been learning to do that, it's been getting easier to do because I'm seeing the value in it. And I see how I'm better in community. I, I was doing it for a while, like, like spending that, that time with God, my, my time of prayer, um, you know, 20, 30 minutes a day. And doing that for a while, I noticed something, that when I came to church on Sundays, that my energy, my, my, my ability to be with people was different. Because this is what used to happen. I used to come to church, and I'm just thinking about the sermon. I'm thinking about the sermon, and I, like, above anything else. And I'm also thinking about the service. Like, is anything going to go wrong? Do we have everything? Do we get the communion bread? Do we, right? And all of these equations are going on in my head. And so when I come to meet people, they're like, hey, Pastor Steve, good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, good to see you, right? I'm not there. I'm not fully present, right? I can't be. Because I'm so consumed by all of these other demands. But I notice that the more that I learned to pray, the more that I could be in the pocket of the will of God, that during that time, yeah, in the beginning, I was super anxious, but I started to kind of calm down in my time of prayer. And I carried it over to when I was with other people. I would come here on Sunday, and it's not perfect, right? But just so much more. Somebody looks at me, and they're like, hey, Pastor Steve, good to see you. And you know what I do? Good to see you. I say it back. I'm able to fully be present. I'm not thinking about the sermon. I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about you. I'm able to be here with people because I have learned how to be alone. How do we do this, friends? Um, there are a few things that um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer suggests for your day alone. Right? It's very simple. And most of these things... Seriously, if I asked you to just write down on paper what those things could be that you could do by yourself with God, that would be really important. You'd probably list many of these things. But the first thing he talks about is we need to learn how to be silent. It is the cornerstone of your day alone, 
right? And so this is one of the problems. I know this is, seems like such a big duh, but he's like, solitude and silence, they go hand in hand. If you're going to be alone, there shouldn't be any other noise. And maybe Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a prophet. Maybe he knew smartphones were coming, even though this is 1939. Because you can be alone and be absolutely surrounded by noise. It's this little thing, right? This thing chirping at you. This thing giving off all the notifications, right? This thing that, that is just can keep you endlessly entertained or endlessly glued to the news cycle or your email or work or whatever, right? And we need to learn how to turn it off or put it aside. We need to learn how to shut out that noise so that you can be alone, not just alone, but alone with God, right? I think it is one of the biggest spiritual problems is distraction. It's not that you don't want to spend time with God. You don't know how to do it because you're so distracted, right? And you've got to learn how to put this thing away. Um, he talks about meditating on Scripture. You know, it's something we've talked about before, but this idea of getting the Scripture, not just into your head, not just the knowledge, but getting it here and everywhere into your nervous system. I talked about this before, but the idea of, that it talks about in Scripture, like, you, you, don't be anxious, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yeah, it sounds great up here, but you know where it's even better is here. It's in your nervous system. If you knew, I don't need to worry. I, I really don't need to worry. And you want that to be a part of you. A lot of times, I think one of the best things you can do in Scripture is not just read it, not analyze it like you're going to write a term paper on it. Memorize it. Just keep repeating it to yourself, Right? We're not trying to prove how smart we are. We want it to be a part of us. I, I, it doesn't matter if I understand the concept of the Lord being my shepherd, but I really want the Lord to be my shepherd. When I'm freaking out, when I'm anxious to learn how to settle into that truth, God, you're in control. I don't need to worry about this one. You got it. You're God. You're going to run the universe without me, and I can just relax, right? To pray this communion with God, and so this kind of prayer isn't the praying for stuff or things, because that's going to come later. Interceding for others is a separate step. But just learning to commune with God, learning to connect with God, letting Scripture guide you into a place where that Scripture becomes your prayer, right? You don't, you don't even just memorize it. It's not just something that, that, that you know, but you are praying that. God, be my shepherd today. I shall not want. Lord, help me to not be anxious in all these things. Learning to even be still in your prayer, to just chill with God. And it's one of the most important things you can do. It's not fancy. It's not difficult in the sense that you got to learn some very advanced things to do. Seriously, just find a chair somewhere in your room I like to be by the window because I just like the sunlight coming in. Just put a chair by your window. Sit there for 20 minutes. Anytime your mind starts to wander, do not grab that phone. Just say, Jesus, be with me, or Jesus. I like to say, yes, you. I don't know why, but that's just what I've learned. I just say, yes, you. Anytime my mind wanders, just, yes, you. I'm here with you. I'm here with you. My mind wanders a lot. It is not perfect. But what I've learned to do that I wasn't able to do in the beginning, in the beginning I'd be like, is it over yet? Is it over yet? Is that 20 minutes over yet? Because I had just so much anxiety within me. 
But the more that I've learned to do it, I don't grab that phone anymore, right? Yeah, my mind still wanders, but I've learned how to be still. Makes all the difference, right? Friends, this is something that it it will take time for us. You're not going to be perfect at it. But I want to encourage you. What if, what would it look like if at LGM we had people who knew how to be alone with God, who knew how to hear from God and be loved by God? And that is not just in your head, it's in your heart, it's in your body. And you came into this place, and instead of like when you go into the ugly, the the undergraduate library, or you go into Starbucks, and you feel everyone's anxiety, you feel the peace of God that is radiating off of people. You feel the love of God that we have learned to ingest on our own time with God, but we bring it into this group. You know what's going to happen? I think it's going to get even stronger right? It's going to encourage us more. You're going to be with like-minded people in the church who are going to encourage you, right? Sometimes we come together with anxious, broken people in the church, and they just make us anxious and more broken. Let's be honest, right? And I'm not saying we're perfect, but more and more and more that our peace, the love of Christ, the grace that we have received from God, that that starts to rub off more on people. And if you're having a bad day, you have people that can encourage you. The last part is to intercede for others. Bring your peace. Bring the silence, the solitude that you have with God. Bring that place where you are being blessed by God and now go bless other people. It's the last step because in many ways, it's the step that keeps this continuously flowing. We got to learn how to bring this into our communities. Friends, I want that, don't you? I want to be the kind of community where we can really love like Jesus and the love of Jesus can flow freely in here. And so I find no better way to transition than to talk about communion and for us to do communion together. Thank you so much, Mary. I... um,